Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. Living in Wales, we don't have any indigenous monkeys. Well, I thought we didn't, but I'm looking at your face now, and I, I don't know if it's your mother's side or your father's side, but there is definitely a similarity. We say your father's side because I'm terrified of your mother. Um, yeah, there's a similarity, and I've been doing this research, and I wanted to see if you'll fall for the same trick. So, if you go around that way, yeah. So, apparently, this is a treat. You, hang on, hang on. You, you say you really like bananas. Yes, stop it. If you, you really like bananas, so you can have it in a minute. But you just got to earn it, that's all. Okay? So, you won't mind if I just put it in here first. Yeah. So, you can have that. But I'm keeping the jug. Because that's, that's my jug. You can have the bananas. So, you take it. Just take it, Sam. <laughs> take it. Come on. Oh, I don't want to pull too hard, otherwise. Come on. Come on. Uh. Come on, monkey. <laughs> take it out. I think I could actually get it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, just let go of it then. But it's my banana. <laughs> well, if you can't have it, you're gonna have to let go, aren't you? Just, just let go. Just let go. I could squish it into a mush, but then I wouldn't really want to. Yeah. And you haven't got thumbs, remember? Monkeys don't have thumbs. Oh, okay. Sorry, Sam. Can I have the banana? Sorry, mate. All right, he's a good sport, isn't he? Um, right. I don't know if you've ever seen that before, but that's actually uh, a very makeshift uh, monkey trap. So, we can see our lovely monkey trap up here. This is um, a traditional kind of monkey trap that you would find in um, the continents of Asia or Africa or South America where people hunt for monkeys. And the natives in these continents have come up with a a surprisingly simple um, but very, very useful way of catching monkeys. So, you get uh, something. They, They use sometimes a coconut and uh, you drill a lovely hole in the coconut, and the coconut hole is just big enough for a monkey to put his hand through. Uh, So what you do is you you put some pebbles or some sand into the bottom of this coconut, uh, and that stops the cunning monkey from being able to carry the the coconut away. And then you put some lovely fruit in there like a banana, or you might want to put some nuts in there for the monkey. Um, And this is what happens. The monkey comes crawling along in the jungle, and he sees this lovely coconut, and he cannot believe his luck. Just like Sam, he cannot believe it. He's going to have it. So in goes the hand, and he can feel the banana, or he can feel the nuts there and there. And he thinks, right, I've got it. And as he tries to pull his hand out to the coconut, what he doesn't realize is the hole is big enough for his hand to go in, a bit like uh, with our jug. Get rid of the banana. It's big enough for the hand to go in. But as soon as you clench the nut or you clench the banana, you cannot 
get it out. It's actually quite stuck there, isn't it? You cannot get your hand out of the trap. And the, the, these hunters have come up with this amazing way of doing it. They, they've kind of done this without any scientific research. They found that the monkey will refuse to let go of this treat. The banana with the nut is now the monkey's. But the problem is the monkey can't get his hand out of the coconut. Uh, and he becomes trapped. He won't get let go of his prize. And as a, as a result, the monkey gives up his freedom for a nut. And that's bonkers, isn't it? We think, what an absolute stupid thing. How dumb are monkeys? How dumb is Sam? But because it views the treat as its possession, it's not willing to let go. And as a result, the monkey is trapped and it loses its freedom. Well, we find ourselves this morning in a very similar situation, a story in Mark's gospel where we see a very similar situation where someone is prepared to give up their freedom for nothing more than just something that is their possession. We find ourselves back on the road with Jesus. We've encountered um, lots of Jesus teaching about his upside-down kingdom. Everything in Jesus' kingdom is back to front. It's not the same as we would expect it to be. And we meet the man on the road who's very similar to our monkey friend. He's prepared to give up his freedom for a possession. So if we turn in our Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17, and we'll be working our way down to verse 31 during the morning. Um, And as we kind of go through this passage, I think what would be really um, good for us to do is just remember that monkey. He will be up and down on the screen um, as, we, as we go through all this at some point in the, evening, in the morning. I just want you to remember how stupid that monkey really is. He's not, he's not clever, is he? He's an absolute idiot. Who's going to give up their freedom for a nut? So let's turn in our Bibles. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 22. We'll work our way through this. Um, we'll see what we can draw out of this. Um, and, and we're going to split it up kind of into two sections, two scenes. Uh, we've got Jesus' encounter with the rich man, and we've got Jesus' encounter with his disciples. So looking at scene one, act one, the rich young man, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question, isn't it? What must I do? To inherit eternal life. And we've seen through Mark, it's not just an interesting question for this man to ask. It's not just an interesting question for us to ask. It is interesting. But what's more important is we've seen throughout Mark's gospel, this is an important question to Jesus. Jesus keeps asking and answering this question for himself. What must someone do to inherit eternal life? And this man, because he's asked a question, He's come running to Jesus, asking this question. It seems to me, anyway, that he lacks assurance. He lacks, really, that kind of definitive answer to this question. It's almost as if he is hoping that Jesus is going to tell him, if you just do this, you will have assurance of eternal life. If you just do this one extra deed, this one bolt on to your life, maybe then you can have eternal life. Well, let's carry on in our story. Jesus now is saying this, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
I, th I think this is really interesting, isn't it? I, it must be really infuriating if you are meeting Jesus uh, in this time. But Jesus seems to answer every question by going a little bit deeper, doesn't he? He never gives that simple explanation. It's just like, he doesn't go, oh, you just got to do this, mate. You just got to do this and you get eternal life. He really kind of pulls apart this man's question. What does he say? He says, why are you calling me good? Why are you calling me good? Are you saying I'm just a good teacher? Or do you realize that by calling me good, that you might be suggesting that I'm God? That's what the question is, isn't it? Jesus said, no one is good. No one is good. If you're saying I'm a good teacher, are you saying I'm God? And are you realizing that? Are you realizing you're framing this question in this way? Are you calling me God? Verse 19, and let's look back down at our passage. Jesus says, you know the commandments. We know the commandments as well. John has helpfully read them out this morning. Jesus um, says this, doesn't he? Verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Now, you might be looking at that list and thinking it's a bit light this morning. I mean, John spoke for a lot longer on the Ten Commandments earlier. I think Jesus is purposely just listing some of the latter ones. He's kind of listing the latter commandments. Now, why might he be doing this? Well, a hint then is in how this young man responds, isn't it? Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since a boy. You can imagine there's almost a sense of pride here, isn't it? If not joy, he's, he's happy. Why? Because he's kept those commandments since he was a boy. And he's been genuine, isn't it? It's not like he is misleaded here. He is confident that he has kept these commandments. But the problem here, this man's understanding of what is good is a little bit limited. A little bit sometimes like we can do. We can fall into that trap of what is good, what is bad. He's limited his goodness in the context of these commandments that Jesus has listed. Why? Because he's kept them. He hasn't murdered anyone. He hasn't committed adultery. He hasn't stolen. He hasn't given false testimony. He hasn't defrauded. That's an interesting way of saying, saying it. He hasn't defrauded. He's a rich man. He's become rich. He hasn't done it by committing fraud in any way. He's an honest, rich man. Uh, and he's honored his father and his mother. He's very confident. But his, his goodness is flawed because of his motive. He hasn't considered the rest of the commandments, has he? Do you remember what John was saying? From Exodus, you shall have only one God. Don't make idols for yourself. I think Jesus is showing this man, yes, you are a good man. Yes, you are actually quite good. Probably the best of us. But it's not good enough. Look at your reasons for being like this. What is your motivation? It's possible to do good with wrong motives. And if we kind of put this back into the frame of what Sam and John have been saying for the last eight, nine, ten weeks, even longer, frame it in Mark's gospel, isn't it? What has this man done to deny himself? To deny himself and take up his own cross? What kind of sacrificial living is evident in this man's life? Yes, he's lived a morally good life. But what has he done with all of that riches, with all of that wealth, with all of that power to really deny himself and enter into Jesus' upside-down kingdom where the first is last and the last is first. He isn't denying himself. 
And in verse 21 then, if we look back at our, our Bibles, Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love that. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he says this to the man. One thing you lack, just one, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven. Once you've done that, then come and follow me. Isn't that lovely, isn't it? It's lovely but so sad. Jesus loves this man. He genuinely loves this man. He, he can see this man as a good man in the sense that he's kept those moral commandments. He's being genuine. But he's saying one thing you lack is this sacrificial, upside-down kingdom mentality. Give it up. Come and follow me. Jesus is revealing this man's need for, for God. Come back to those first two commandments. You shall have no other God and don't build up idols for yourself. It is quite clear that this man's wealth is this man's God. His extreme wealth, his extreme power is what this man gets up in the morning for. And the challenge then is this. Give up your idol. Give up your idol and come and follow me. And in verse 22, this has been described, described by some people as the saddest verse in all of the Bible. At this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. Isn't that tragic? This man has given a direct opportunity to follow Jesus, to get the thing that he says he craves the most. But he can't give it up. He can't give it up because it's his idol. It's his nut inside the monkey trap, isn't it? He can't let go of it. It seems stupid to us, but to him, his wealth is his possession, and he can't let go of it. There's a really good quote here that I've um, kind of discovered as I was looking at this passage. It's by Sinclair Ferguson. I wonder if he had uh, an understanding of the monkey trap as he made this quote, because it is quite fitting. And he said of this young man in our passage this morning, something was missing. One thing which amounted to everything. His life was still centered on himself rather than on the kingdom of God. One sentence was enough to teach this young man the truth about himself that had been hidden all of these years. He had outwardly kept the commandments, but there was a God in his life which he prized more than the knowledge of the true God. He had great wealth. And sadly, with his heart deception now unveiled, he turned round and he went back to the idol worship from which he almost escaped, almost escaped. Only now he knew the truth about himself. And it's sad, isn't it? All he had to do was give up his wealth, come and follow Jesus, and he could have the thing that he said he craved the most. And you might be sitting here this morning thinking that's a bit harsh. Being asked to give up all your wealth to follow Jesus. I'm looking in this room, none of us have given up all of our wealth to follow Jesus. It seems harsh. But this is the thing, isn't it? This, in this man, his wealth occupied first place in this man's heart. And Jesus is exposing this truth to him. 
He's showing him, look, if only you would give this up, you could have eternal life. He's exposing the man's depth of dependence on his wealth. Now, it's very important at this point, I think, at this juncture, that I should say this isn't the view of the Bible, that we should all just give up everything we own and become hermits and follow Jesus. It's not something consistently put in the Bible. We're not asked to give up everything and live in rags. Poverty is not endorsed in the Bible. And wealth is often seen as a, a gift from God. Wealth is a gift. We shouldn't, we shouldn't look at this man's situation and think, this is what we need to do in terms of wealth. But the man leaves sad. Why? Because he had great wealth. So we can't escape it. There is a challenge here. This is a personal encounter with this man. But what is our wealth? What is it that if there's a monkey trap for us that we've put our hand into, we've got hold of it, we're not prepared to let go of it, and therefore we've forfeited our freedom. We've forfeited true life for something. Something that is robbing us of freedom. Well, let's think about our our monkey friend. He puts his hand through the hole. He grabs his fistful of fruit or his fistful of nuts. And then as he tries to pull his hand back out, he can't. The hole is small enough to put his empty hand through, but not big enough for a hand clutching a fistful of fruit or nuts out. He is stuck. And at this point, the monkey should realize, hey, I'm stuck. If I just drop this fruit, if I drop this nut, I'm going to be free. What am I doing? I'm being an absolute idiot. If I drop this, I can just pull my hand out and I'll be free. But the monkey doesn't. The monkey is stupid. Doesn't let go of his nuts. And the the farmer or the hunter comes creeping up behind him. And he snatches him. And turns him into a lovely, tasty monkey stew. Or maybe he uh, sells him to be one of those little dancing monkeys with a little hat on. Maybe you could make Sam wear one of those little hats later on. Because he now technically belongs to me. Um, But a monkey, if he had just given up the nuts... He would be free. It's so stupid, isn't it? We look at the monkey and we think, what an absolute idiot. Why have you given up your freedom? There's loads of fruit and nuts in the forest. Go get them. Why are you putting your hand in a coconut to start off with? Who would put a hand in a coconut? It's not worth losing your life for, is it? Now, coming on to us, you might think, stupid monkey. But Jesus, I think, looks at us sometimes and thinks, what a bunch of idiots. How daft can we be? You know, we don't give up our freedom for a banana. I hope not. I hope our idol this morning isn't a banana. But we have lots of things in our life that are in the monkey trap. If we would just let go, we could experience true life. The monkey is so obvious, but with us, I think we can be just like that monkey. We can have that same mentality. We're blind to our stupidity. We're blind to our slavery. Now, thinking of a couple of examples of what it might be for us, I think work seems, seems so odd, isn't it, that career and work could become an idol because it's something we all moan about, isn't it? I mean, if you say, how's work? Rubbish. No one enjoys it. But we seem to make idols out of it. And uh, work is a good thing. This is the important thing about idols. Most of our idols are actually good gifts, aren't they? It's not like uh, we're going off doing terrible things. We're going to work. We're getting a career. God's created work for us. 
Uh, it's a good gift. He's put us on the earth to take uh, dominion over it, to take uh, control. Uh, but what happens to us when we derive all of our identity out of our work? What if work becomes so all-consuming to us that when we walk through the door to see our family at night, it's the only thing we think about and we can't switch off? What if the only thing we can be thinking about is, when am I going to get that next promotion? When am I going to hit that next pay grade? When am I going to be recognized in work? And then our relationships begin to suffer as a consequence. Uh, and we can't let go of it. And I, I experienced this just this week. Um, to give you a bit of background, this week, two things happened to me. The first thing was, um, a lovely thing has happened to me. I've got a little bit more flexibility in my job so I can spend time with my family and do things like this, stand up on the stage, do a bit of preaching, help out youth. Uh, and that's what I really am passionate about. I'm passionate about my family. I'm passionate about helping the church. And I've been given this flexibility, and this is why I've come from private practice, uh, working um, in-house uh, as a solicitor. It just gives me that extra freedom so I'm not going to sell my soul for a few quid. And it was brilliant, and I was so, so thankful this week that I've been given this more flexible working pattern to enable me to do this um, without actually losing any sort of financial um, money or anything like that. It was fantastic. And then I found myself in a second meeting this week, um, and they're talking about all the opportunities in work, about taking on extra responsibilities, loading up your plate, and in, in return, they might give you just a tiny little bit more money. And over a year, it might be just a few hundred quid, but you can have all this extra responsibility, you can take it on, and you can become the world's greatest in-house lawyer by doing all this extra admin work. And you might think, what, who's giving up their freedom for that? But I found myself in that moment with my, my hands clenching over the nut of a few extra quid. And I was like, what am I doing? I've never craved more work in my life. I'm naturally quite a lazy person. Yeah, I'm craving like Gollum. And my precious, I want the extra work. And then I shake my head. I'm thinking, no, I don't. What an absolute stupid thing. But we can be like that. We can make our entire lives about work. Another thing we can make our entire lives about is family. Again, fantastic thing. I've got to say that because my wife and my mother are sitting in the congregation together. I love my family. And we know family is a good thing. It's a gift from God. But what happens when we fall into the mindset that we need to be the perfect man, the perfect dad? I cannot let anyone see my vulnerable side. And we cannot let a flaw be shown. If I'm going to put stuff on Instagram, it's got to show how perfect our home life is. I am such a great dad. Look at how amazing he is. Now, you know I'm not a great dad, because out of all the kids in the church, it's only my kid who's running around the front, making an absolute racket, banging his head on things, pushing other kids over. I'm not a perfect dad. But the problem is, we all crave that. We crave that people are going to look at us and think, Great parents, fantastic parents. And then that kind of idol to be perfect, to not have any flaws, it robs us of our time as a family, doesn't it? You're so concentrated, so concerned about what people think of you, or you look at Instagram and you see other people's families, you think, oh, if only my kids were like that. Why doesn't my kid ever smile in a photograph? Why has my kid got a cut nose every time I take a picture of him? 
Why is no one else's kids looking like this? And it robs us of true freedom. We look at our favorite TV shows. We think, if only my family would look like that. And we lose perspective then, don't we? we? Instead of loving our families, we chase after something that isn't realistic. Because I've got news for you this morning. You know our favorite TV shows? I've only just found this out. It's not real. It's scripted. Those things that people say, that it's written down. And then when they say cut, it's not real. Their families aren't actually like that. They're mad. Absolutely mad. So for you now, they're quite personal for me. What is it that is your nut in a monkey trap that you won't let go of? You look stupid, but you just won't let go of it. The things that are stopping you from living for Jesus. The things that are your idols, the ultimate things. And that if you don't surrender them, if you don't give up the way you're holding on to those nets, you are going to be left in the prison that you cannot be freed from. Well, scene two, we come on to um, our disciples and Jesus. Looking at verse 23. Uh, Jesus looked around And he said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? We've obviously got this in the context of our rich young man. Um, Our rich young man has gone away sad because he's wealthy. He can't give it up. And the disciples have been there. They've seen this. So they ask this question. They they see this. And Jesus asked this question of them. And what was the disciples' reaction? The disciples were amazed at his words. I don't know about you, but these poor fishermen, these, these disciples, if I was them, I'd be going, yes, Jesus, stick it to the rich. Tell them they're rubbish. Tell them they'll never get to heaven, the stupid rich people. But they don't do that, do they? They're not glad that the rich are going to find it difficult to get to heaven. They're amazed. You see, this is a massive shift in their belief system. You know, they're good Jews. Uh, they lived upon this prosperity performance system. Uh, and if we consider some of the great uh, characters of the Old Testament, we think of Abraham, we think of David, we think of Job. These are great characters from the Old Testament. They're also very wealthy characters. And there's this assumption then that being uh, rich is connected to a blessing from God. If you're wealthy, if you're rich, it's because God has blessed you. If you're poor, it's because you haven't got God's blessing. So the disciples are not looking at Jesus' teaching here. They're not looking at this rich young man going off sad as a, a blessing. They're not thinking, yes, stick it to him. They're thinking, if this guy can't get in, we're all stuffed. If this man can't take his hand out of the monkey trap, we're all stuck in a monkey trap. That's what's happening, isn't it? Let's look back at the, uh, the passage. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus challenges again. He said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? How hard is it? Not just for a rich man. How hard is it for everyone? Full stop. All on the same playing field. How hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? I'll tell you what. This is what Jesus says. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man To enter the kingdom of God. Do you see that? It is easier for a big fat camel. Imagine that. Imagine the size of a massive big fat camel. It's easier for that big fat camel to go through a tiny eye of a needle. I think the picture speaks for itself, isn't it? It's impossible. The big fat camel ain't going through the eye of a needle. It's not happening. 
But this is what it means, isn't it? If a rich man is to get into heaven, a camel has to pass through an eye of a needle. You might want to put it in this way with our monkey friend. It is easier for a clenched fist full of nuts to get out of a monkey trap than it is for us to deny ourselves and follow Jesus. You see, there's no loopholes here. Jesus isn't giving us an easy way out. He's saying it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for any of us in this room to get to heaven. And then we look at this man, we look at the disciples, we look at us then, we say this, don't we? Who possibly could inherit eternal life? Who possibly is good enough for Jesus? And it's quite a sad situation to be left in then, isn't it? That's quite depressing. Are you saying, Jamie, it it can't be done, it's impossible? Well, verse 27 This should uh, cheer us back up. Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Isn't that amazing? All things are possible with God. And this is probably, for me, it's one of the most wonderful verses in the Bible. Jesus is removing even the slightest possibility, the slightest potential for us to rely on our own merit to get us there. Jesus makes it clear that if you want to be in his kingdom, his upside-down kingdom, it's totally the work of God. You can't do it. It's impossible. I mean, I don't know if you realize that. If those of us who are Christians in the room I don't know if you see the, the miracle that has been done to make you a Christian. I don't know if you realize that a big fat camel needs to be shoved through the eye of a needle. That's how impossible your conversion is. That's how impossible it is for you to follow Jesus. But if you're a Christian, that's what Jesus has done. He's done the impossible. I don't know if you ever view it in that way. I don't know if you ever think, we look at a camel and we think of the needle and we think that is an, an absolute impossibility. But I wonder if we think about our salvation in the same way. That it was impossible and Jesus has made it possible. So coming back to our question, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus has been saying it again and again and again. Deny yourself and follow Jesus. Deny yourself and follow Jesus. But this is it. The rich man was given this offer, wasn't he? The rich man was given an offer by Jesus, give up your wealth, come and follow me. He couldn't do it. We're asked to give up our idols and follow Jesus. We can't do it. You know, the, the hint is in what is going on here. If you, if you remember verse 17, Jesus started on his way. He's on his journey to Jerusalem. He's on his journey to the cross. And we're going to see this more in Mark. We're, we're going to see the, how Jesus predicts his death next week. And obviously, we're going to be looking at the cross later on in our series in Mark. But there is an impossibility here. We cannot give up our wealth. We cannot give up our idols. We cannot give up our nuts. But Jesus is going to do it for us. So how does God do the impossible? He's going to the cross. He's going to do the thing that no one else can do. And the man who trusts in himself and his own possessions 
can never experience true living. But the man who trusts in the impossible power and the redeeming love of God can enter freely into true life that is being offered here. Do you, do you see that? The man who trusts himself can never experience true life. But the man who trusts in the all-powerful, redeeming love of God can have true life, freedom, freely. And on the cross, this is what Jesus is saying, isn't it? This power over us that we seem to have with our possessions, that power that we just cannot let go of, the things in our life that just mean so much to us, they're gifts from God, but we just make them the ultimate thing. That's all it is, isn't it? The things that get in the way of us following Jesus, the things that we make such a big deal of. Jesus is going to the cross, and on the cross, he is taking that power from us, and he's going to bury it. He's taking it to the grave with him. He's burying it, and he's got no intention of bringing that power back up with him. And as, he, as he's resurrected, we need to remember that freedom we have in it. We can now give up our, our wealth. We can give up those idols. We can follow Jesus because Jesus is going to empower us by his grace on the cross to be free. And the, the problem is this, isn't it? The power has gone. Because of Jesus, we can say no to it. We can deny ourselves. We can live a sacrificial life. We can live in the upside-down kingdom of Jesus, where the first will be last and the last will be first. That when we say, who is the greatest, we can say, actually, the greatest is the servant, not the, not the person with the most wealth, not the person with all the power. The best person is the one who sacrifices. We can only say that because of Jesus. And we're going to still be tempted that coconut, that monkey trap is still there for us. And it kind of calls out our name every now and again, doesn't it? We can hear it. And we're tempted. We can be tempted to stray back, to put our hand in the coconut. And we know it's rubbish. We know it's not going to satisfy. We know it. We, we revert back to an idiotic state. And we see the, the nut in the coconut and we want it. We've just got to remember Jesus on the cross. He has taken our power. You don't need to put your hand in there. You're no longer a slave to the coconut. You are free to experience true living. Come and live in Jesus' upside-down kingdom is what he's offering. And is it worth it? That's what Peter asks, isn't it? Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. Is it worth it? And this is what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. No one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times, a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and with them, persecution. That's important. And with them, persecution. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who will be first will be last, and the last first. Will it be worth it? Jesus says, definitely. You give up those idols in me, you will have a hundred times better than the things you were given up. Yes, there'll be persecution, but following Jesus is worth it. Peter, he asked that question. He pipes up all the time, doesn't he, in Mark's gospel, asking the obvious, always making a, a bit of an idiot of himself. But we know this of Peter, don't we? We know this of Peter, that he doesn't quite get it now. He probably is a little bit trapped in a monkey trap, but he's going to get it. We know that, don't we? We can look at the story of Peter with perspective. We can look at the whole picture, and we know Peter's going to get it. 
We know Peter is going to follow Jesus to the end. We know Peter is going to give up his life to martyrdom for the gospel. Peter gets it eventually. The question is, have we got it? I think it's possible to be a Christian and not fully get this. That we're not trapped in the monkey trap of our idols, of our possessions. We're free to follow Jesus. When the penny drops, when we realize, yeah, we might not have perfect life, the possessions we crave, we'll have Jesus. Ah, is that enough? Jesus says it is. It's enough and some. I'm going to pray now. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you have removed the power of our idols, that we are free to give up all those things to follow you. We thank you that actually you don't ask us to give up our good gifts. You don't ask us to give up family and money, but you ask us to make you the center of our lives, that all our good gifts that you give us would pour out of that truth. So Father, give us uh, the strength this week to say no to our idols, to say no to the monkey trap, and to say yes to you. Only because of Jesus. Amen. We hope that you found today's message useful and challenging. And we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now. Why not get in touch with us via email at contact at amfordchurch.com if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss. If you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church, make sure to like us on Facebook. And lastly, check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts. Thanks for listening.